Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. It's truly my pleasure to share this interview with the wonderful artist, Janie Barnett. In our conversation, we talked about and share some clips, beautiful clips from her new record, You See This River. We also talked a lot about uh, Janie's experience being someone who's continued to pursue a multifaceted career as a singer, songwriter, a teacher, a producer, living in New York City, balancing all of this while having a family and being a mom and building her career through various phases without losing sight of her uh, artistic uh, vision. I was really inspired by um, her thoughts and and her music, and I hope you will be too. Uh, I would be remiss not to mention a huge thank you to our sponsors, Electric Violin Shop. If you go to electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings, you can get a discount and you don't need to buy anything to give them a call and get the best advice out there for electric string players. Also our sponsor Yamaha. I've been working with Yamaha. It's official. I've worked with Yamaha for over 20 years now. I could not be more grateful and proud to work with such great people and a great company as Yamaha. And just one other thing, since it's the end of March, it is the time to think about summer. And so I want to remind you to sign up, to register, to join us the first week of July in Columbus, Ohio at the Creative Strings Workshop. This is our 16th year, and I want you to be there. It's an incredible experience. You'll meet string players, creative string players from all around the world, and we take an entire week to shed to enjoy, to jam, to collaborate. Anyone that knows me knows that this is a huge labor of love for me. And uh, my goal is really for everyone to come to have a positively life-changing experience. So if you have any questions, reach out to me at chris at christianhouse.com, chris at christianhouse.com, or just sign up at the website, christianhouse.com slash education. So with that, let's get into this episode with Janie Barnett. Janie Barnett, thank you so much and welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really blown away by you. This is the first time I've met you, and this is the first person in 24 people that I've interviewed for this podcast that wasn't someone that I've known for a long time, which um, speaks to how much I was blown away by everything I heard in your music and saw on your website and was told by the promoter for your new project. Can you remind me the name? I know it has to do with the river, your new amazing record, which I've heard. (laughs) You see this river. You see this river, you and you see this river, and you've got this this record coming out, and there's all this poetic language on your website. Quotes from you really drew me in. I thought, wow, this this artist is the whole package. You have mm-hmm. a distinctive voice, uh, an original sound. You're obviously writing a lot of the music, co-writing, mm-hmm. coordinating, producing, you know, and you know, the lyrics and the stories about someone who's lived life. And, and, and also you've, you say on your website, or I mean, it's, it's, it says on your website of all these other things you've done as a more chameleonic musician, Mm -hmm. you know, the Mm -hmm. ability to, to be stylized or, you know, to, to, uh, to emulate this kind of sound for producers when they need Mm -hmm. a singer on a backing track or, uh, or a, not on a backing track, but when they need a singer on anything, they'll say, mm-hmm. we need this kind of thing or that kind of thing. Give us this voice. Give us, And so you've done that, which I can relate to, but you're also, you have a very personal individualistic sound and you've, and you've created this apparently over 
uh, a few decades in your career and had kids along the way. So I'm so drawn into you. I'm excited to meet you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm not sure I have to say anything else. You've just kind of said it all. It took a long, took a long time to put this whole package together. So I, I, you know, that's one of the main things that I tell kids that I'm mentoring these days is like, go ahead and be patient. If that's what it takes, you're going to take as much time as you need to find, find your own, your own voice, which, mm. which is what happened with me. Yeah. And you're teaching at Berkeley and you've got, a, you've got a lot of students uh, who are presumably vocalists, young vocalists, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the voice department, but I get, we all have our specialties, and uh, the department sends me their singer-songwriters, since that's the life that I have led, as well as people who are intrigued by my resume as a freelance singer, you know, people who play instruments. I get people like me who are just starting out, you know, and since I always like to say that I, I had my share of mistakes right in the beginning. It's a, it's kind of a, a nice payback to, or, or give back, excuse me, to, you know, point out a few things to them and help, help guide them. Yeah. Or open the doors for them. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between being a string, a bowed string player and being a vocalist in terms of that we, you know, we have certain skills, um, well, specifically that there may be certain skills that we don't get trained in and that then when we join in the creative community with guitar players and rhythm section players, that there's this like lost in translation element and that we might inherently feel sort of insecure about not knowing the lingo or having all the same skills that the guitar players and the drummers. Does that, does that ring a bell at all? I mean... Interesting. I think in the beginning that, that was probably true for me. Um, when I was first thrown in the ensemble, uh, you know, area, I mean, I played as just a solo as a kid coming up. I just was on my own in coffee houses. And then when I got to an ensemble environment, you know, you do have a sort of a sense like, what am I doing? And uh, even having some training, you know, and they have sometimes a rhythm section has a secret language that you have not heard anything about. And um, you have to play catch up and you have to find your allies too, is what I kind of felt with my early ensembles is like, who can I pull aside and ask to sort of bring me up to speed and train me and, you know, understand that I have something to offer, but maybe I need a little, a little tutorial on the language that's being spoken. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, you know, if you have good ears, you're going to understand things. I, in, one thing you reminded me of is that in a, when I was probably 19 and I was in a band and I was really working with a drummer for the first time and I couldn't describe what was wrong. And I, I kept saying ridiculous things like I'm hearing too much bang, bang, bang or something ridiculous. And I, you know, it was like through the years I figured out that I don't like a lot of symbol work, you know, mm. <laughs> And it took me, you know, that time to sort of study records and listen. I remember listening to a Brian Ferry record and going, ah, no symbols. That's right. why I like this record, you know. Right. So some of these things you, you think I should know right from the out, right out of the gate. But, you know, there's you learn as you go. You learn as you go. Yeah. Well, like, uh, yeah, I mean, as you know, as string players, again, classically trained string players, you know, we're so focused on, for example, tone production which mm -hmm. I would imagine a lot of singers are too, you know. And then when it's all of a sudden like, yeah, how? that's a great example, like how do you tell the drummer what you want? It's like I, I have no idea, <laughs> you know. I still have no idea how to tell the drummer what I want. I, th I think it's like <laughs> half the battle is like knowing which, what, what I what don't know. What you don't want. <laughs> yeah, or what I don't want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. now, but you, how do you write your music and do you play other instruments? Because I thought there was a mention of guitar. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a guitar player first. Those were the first lessons. No, that's not true. I, my first lessons were piano, which I think most almost every musician I know that was the case. Uh, then I switched to guitar and I studied guitar very seriously for quite a quite a few years and was oddly because I never thought I had it being groomed to be a classical guitar player and a performing classical guitar player. And I just knew it wasn't the core of what I wanted to do, the training was amazing. And I think my hands as a finger picker are, are that of a classical guitar player. At least my right hand has mm. the, the thumb that, you know, I always trying to get all my finger pickers to, you know, to use. Um, and so I write on guitar, piano. Um, but you know, the artists that I connected with were artists who sang and played, 
you know. Um, gotcha. So the two are, and the writing with the two together are always, always part of, you know, where the songs are coming from is the instrument as well as the, the melodic work as a singer. So that um, is very different in some ways than in, in the sense that I'm guessing there might be singers that, that work with you that maybe don't have instrumental skills or, or do they all? Absolutely. And I think it's a, I, I think it's a shame. I think every singer should be playing an instrument. doesn't mean you have to play it on stage, but you should be connected to, to an instrument to kind of enhance your understanding of, of what's going on, you know, harmonically. Um, Especially a chordal instrument like guitar or piano, right? I mean, Oh, oh, <laughs> I don't know why, you know, getting back to Berkeley a little bit, although I don't need to talk about Berkeley too much. I don't know why everyone is not required to learn piano and they're actually not required to learn piano. <laughs> right. right. Master, for goodness sake. You know? Right. Right. Well, I guess that, so. that speaks to the, the parallel again for, for me as a, as a, a single note player on a bowed string yeah. instrument in that sense, it's like the instrument of the voice and that, you know, we, we don't necessarily have to learn anything about harmony and we can just work on melodies. So, so I can imagine that that would be a big, uh, some 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 kind of gap that needs to get crossed for so many I think young so. artists. And I think for me, when I crossed that, because first studying as a classical guitar player, where nobody my my te my mentor was a big shot in the classical guitar world, and we never spoke about harmony. We never spoke about what makes up these chords that are actually being formed by my hands. Right. Nothing. Nothing. I start had to start learning that on my own. Learning that, you know, there I was with my Joni Mitchell songbook going, oh, that's a chord. It's got three notes in it, you know, all self-taught until I, you know, started to really train and, and took, you know, design my own training, really. And uh, I, I, I can't imagine what my life as a composer would be like if I, if I had started that earlier, let's put it that way. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the oddity of training classically and not actually having any you know, harmonic structure in the training. I'm Bizarre. so, yeah, I'm so glad you said that because it, it's yet again another distinction because even people who are trained classically on the piano, for example, or the guitar, they have, they have the same kind of issue. It's like, wait, all this, I could have just known this was like a one, four, five and I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, but I just knew, you know, well, that's, that's awesome. Um, I've got a lot of questions here for you. Um, so many things I want to ask you, but I think I'd like to take a second just to jump into some of this record and maybe ask if there's one song you'd, you'd like for us to, to, to start with. Maybe the title track and maybe to just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, the title track is the oldest track on the record. And I, I wrote that song. First of all, it was sort of a breakthrough in terms of my finger picking since, you know, I know it's nice to talk about the stringed instrument and that work. And, um, I just remember sitting for a long time trying to get the movement of the right hand to cover the left hand movement that I was doing. And when it finally sort of clicked in and then it's the finger picking started to roll in a way that represented the river, which was the, the lyrics that I had written. Um, and that was sort of a nice breakthrough for me. So a number of songs that came after that really, I, I had the, I had sort of cracked the code on how to work, work the two hands of the, of the instrument to get what I needed. Um, the song was really written when I was um, raised. My child was probably um, 10 at that point, and it was sort of a, a, a challenging moment as a working artist, mother, you know, parent, really. Um, and uh, I just felt a little like sometimes I felt adrift and um, I tried to talk about it in the song and say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to hang in there. It's going to be OK. Talking to myself and my child. Yeah. And that's part of the, what this, you see this river, I guess you talked a little bit about um, how the river is, is a little bit of an analogy for, for life and, and just, I think I want to get back into that. So we're going to listen to, so we're going to listen to part of you see this river. Stand up on So if I 
Um, so, are you playing guitar on the record as well? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm playing guitar on every track. Yeah, and a little piano too. Yeah. I think your guitar playing is beautiful, <laughs> and your singing is is stunning, and really um, individual. I think it's very thank you, individual. thank you. And I and I respect that so much because I can relate to the desire as a musician to go both ways, to be able to 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 do a certain thing really well, like whether it's classical or whether it's to cop this kind of sound, and mm -hmm. also to pursue a, a unique individual artistic voice. I wonder if you'd be willing to talk at all about how you see that. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that issue. When I when I first was coming up as a musician, I was trying a lot of different things. And um, I'm trying to figure out how to voice this without going on too long. There's a short version of this and a long version of this. And I was so mesmerized by all the sounds that I could make, um, partly just my own ear and my own instrument, and uh, particularly as a singer, but also the, some of the training that I had because my mentor really trained me to be able to make different sounds so that I could make a living. Um, and when I got to, when I left New England and I came to New York and there was all this session work to be that chameleon and really um, exercise my craft in that way, I kind of, I was intoxicated by the, by the skill that it involved and by all the incredibly skilled people around me that I was working with who all had that same kind of, um, uh, agility. Um, and even though and my writing kept going, my writing was always there. My playing was always there. I was always doing my own shows, but I, f I think that not only the gratification of that freelance world where I sort of, I felt like uh, my skills were validated and, and it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> um, and I was actually a musician making a living, but the, the pursuit of my own sound was always there, but I think um, for some personal reasons, raising a child and you know family life and that kind of thing, I kind of kept I I can I controlled it, and I don't think you can you can't control that process of discovering your own, pardon the cliche, but authentic sound. You have to kind of just meander and go down that rabbit hole and go down that you know that path to the dark woods or whatever it's going to take to sort of experiment and find, and as a singer, to feel these different sounds inside you, maybe do a little emulation of somebody. Does it work? Does it sound like me? This kind of thing. And I think because of my personal circumstances and the opportunities I had as a freelancer, I, 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 I think I controlled it a little too much. And hence, I, this is why it took me this much time to really I want to say get back to what was my authentic sort of connection to music. And that was roots music, stringed instruments, um, heart, rich harmonies, poetry, all that was there right in the beginning as a teenager. And I kind of, I fled from it in order to sort of prove myself and prove my, my stature as, as a working musician. And when I finally got back to that and I sort of kicked off, it's like, sure, I can do a, a pop R&B song and get paid for it, but maybe that's not actually who I am. So it was a, um, a just, I, I want to say, I can't overstate, it was an absolutely like thrilling experience to finally let go and get back to my roots and then say, what version of that, that sound is me, you know? And I'm going to give myself as much time and as much experimentation as I can. And there were many, many tracks many, many recordings, many, many shows where I was trying this, trying that, finally, finally, finally coming to a sound that, you know, distilled down to what felt, you know, truly mine, something I could offer that sounded like me. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it's kind of a heroic story in a way too, or I'm imagining that your story has been, I don't know your whole story, but I, I, I feel like it, it's sort of heroic in the sense that you started in New York. Uh, I mean, you you arrived in New York when you were somewhat you know younger, and you did everything you needed to to latch on in New York. Then you had kids or a kid, one kid, one one. kid. yeah. 
during which time I can only imagine that, you know, you had to make a lot of choices and, you know, and then juggle. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you're now maybe your kid has grown, but you, but the whole time it, it, I get the sense that you've been doing all being an artist this whole time and not only making a living in a lot of diverse ways, but now you're making this beautiful original statement. It's, it seems very heroic to me in just the sense of like, you're enduring and staying true to, you know, this kind of, this kind of mission and, and staying the course, but also doing all these other things. And I want to talk about those other things you're doing, but can we listen to another tune? Could, could you maybe suggest another tune on, uh, you see this river? Yeah. So, um, we might go to the second track on the album, which is better times are coming which is not, uh, which was, a, it, it's a, I went online looking for um, public domain songs to see if I could, to see what I connected with. And I found this song by Stephen Foster that the McGarrigals had, had done. And they were, the McGarrigals are heroines of mine, heroes of mine. And um, so I took the seed of that song and then I, I re, re Positioned it. I wrote new, some new lyrics, and I came up with some new music to sort of reflect what maybe we're going through in our our country at this point. It was it's a song that was originally written during the Civil War. Awesome. There are voices of hope that are born on the air, and our land will be free from the clouds of despair for the brave and the true. This episode is brought to you by Electric Violin Shop. You can learn more at electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings. You can even get a special discount when you go there. The biggest thing I like to say about Electric Violin Shop and why I love working with them is because their phone support is really unmatched by anyone that I know. If you have any questions about anything about electric string playing, you can simply call them their phone number, which is 866 866- 900-8400 again 866-900-8400 any questions that you have about electric string playing give them a call this episode of the creative strings podcast is brought to you in part by yamaha uh, creative strings depends on yamaha i depend on yamaha and string players and educators around the world depend on yamaha for their support in so many ways of music education I've been working with Yamaha for over 20 years, and I'm really proud to be affiliated with this great company. Uh, one of the things I'll just mention about their electric violins and all of their string line of products, I've watched these products go through so many um, iterations in the last 20 years, and I've worked closely with uh, designers in Japan and been amazed by their high standards, uh, the quality, the integrity that they 
uh, go to great lengths to uh, apply in the making of all of their string instruments, acoustic and electric. Of course, I personally use Yamaha electric violins and endorse them. I really want to thank Yamaha for their support of Creative Strings. Creative Strings Academy is a home study course providing easy online training to help you become a more creative musician. With over 200 plus video lessons and course materials, you'll also gain access to personalized feedback from me, Christian House. Now as a special promotion, when you sign up for our free 30-day trial, you'll get a free private Skype lesson with me. And this is very easy for you to uh, find if you go to christianhouse.com and then simply look on the top nav bar for Creative Strings Academy. Great. I wonder if you could I wonder if you could just reflect a little bit on you know what it was like when you were younger when you were trying to survive in New York. You you talked a little bit about that and maybe what it was like when you went through a period of raising your child and and then what it's like now. Yeah. I was absolutely terrified. I, I don't know how I found the the as my friend Amanda Homie says, the courage to actually move to New York from, from, I left Virginia, I moved to New England. New England felt kind of at home and easy. When I came to New York, I was just sweating, sweating, sweating every day. Like, what the heck am I doing here? You know, I came with a writing partner, but that soon ended. Um, but I did have maybe three or four colleagues, three or four friends who I just, I asked for help. And, um, you know, when I first moved to New York, I had already been a working musician in New England, but I had to step back, cleaned houses for a year. Then I finally got a, a little, a teaching job at the new school. So I kind of had my, my little, my little platform from which to survive. And, and then it was about, you know, I'll sing anywhere. I'll play anywhere. You want me, I'll come pay, buy me lunch, you know, working for free to get my, my confidence up to network, to meet people. And, um, the first probably three, four years were, were a little crazy. And then after that, um, things started to click as far as my freelance, my reputation as a freelancer. Um, and so I, I was always trying to juggle the freelance life with writing more songs. Was I getting any songs that meant anything, you know, push, push, push. And I did, reach a point and, and, you know, my husband at, at the time and I, we did, we put out a record, we had songs we believed in and then I got pregnant. And, um, so I remember I was, we were doing a showcase, uh, for, um, Sony and I had to wear an outfit that didn't show that I was, you know, three months pregnant. And that was challenge. <laughs> and, you know, it, I, after that showcase, I, you know, I looked at my husband, I was like, maybe we have to rethink this activity because, you know, I just, I didn't think I could pull it off, you know? And it was about that time that some tours were being offered to me. And was I going to go on tour? What was I going to do? Leave my kid at home. But all those choices that we all know people have to make. It's just that most people, they're making a choice, you know, not to go out to dinner with their friends. And for working musicians, it's like, am I going to leave town for six months? And it was too, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Um, so that whole period of raising my daughter was, you know, thankfully I continued to have all this freelance life. And all I, what I did was I thought to myself, I'm just going to try and keep this art alive. Let me just keep it alive in whatever way I can, you know, and I had advice from other people. I remember my, my cousin, who's a mathematician said, you know, when her baby came she, uh, you know, she, while the baby napped, she'd try and, uh, solve one at one step in a proof, you know, let's see how far I can get in two hours. And that's how, what my life became is the time management of trying to be able to no longer indulge myself as an artist, but try to practice flipping the switch. I have my own time now for four hours, flip that switch and try and get something done. You know, not a, none of this, uh, I'm going to sit here and wait for the muse to come. You know? <laughs> went, out the window. went out the window, you know, 
you just try to build your skills so that you your this new version of your skills so that you can just get in there and focus as as quickly as possible when you have that opportunity. And I have to say that's an amazing skill to develop. It's something that even for the the 19 year olds that I'm, you know, who don't have kids and don't have any pressure, I'm telling them, please learn how to, you know, just get in there and make an appointment to be creative, you know, because I think this myth of creativity, I mean, it's great, but it's not practical. (laughs) And plus, if you read, you know, there's, there's so many books about sort of the, the genius artists and how they work and all this stuff. Well, it turns out they practice, you know, it turns out they just like make an appointment and they sit down at nine in the morning and they, they just go to work and they get something or they don't, you know, I think we've all discovered that. Hmm. So that's what it really, what I discovered during that period. And I, I, my, that was the beginning of the, my better work starting when I had less time. I mean, which for me was very, was really profound. Yeah. When you're doing that creative work, I mean, in a way, I mean, what, what comes up for me is that it's like a, it feels like it's more of a, an investment, a long-term investment, right? It's not, it's not like, okay, I got a gig Friday night. I'm going to make 350 bucks if I go out and sing at a wedding somewhere or whatever, a, a session or whatever kind of freelance things where it's like immediate money. It's going to help you take care of your child and like pay the rent in New York where it's like expensive, you know, so you were still able to like carve out, I think for a lot of people, like that's almost like impossible to do all three of those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, to be like a parent and then like, oh, and then make money right. as an artist and then, but also still make time to be creative for what? For just, just for the sake of, were you thinking, well, I just need to keep making work just to feel good about myself or because someday I'm going to put out an album or, or something else? It's a, it's a good question because there are moments when you're in that kind of period where you're like, what the, why am I doing this? You know, what's the, first of all, you have to do it. You know, if you've got that, if you've had that little, it's like that, that, um, uh, real quote that everybody has now confiscated about like, you know, ask yourself, do you have to write? And if you, if you, if the answer is no, then like get the hell out because it's, you know, it's, it's going to be hell, you know. But if you you can't live without it, and this is the thing, you just have to get in there and create and work that process because you don't feel good unless you do that, you know. And so that that continued, and also it was a kind of a solace as well from, you know, like uh, this is all a little bit too much, and so I could go to my my art and carve out that time, and and it was gratifying. But I just couldn't not do it, and I certainly felt also like. I want to, you know, if I can just keep active, I can stay in the game. And at, at some point, I know I'm going to have more time. At some point, my kid's going to be grown. We don't know if grown means 14, 15, 18, 23, you know, but there's going to be a time when I have more time and I have more freedom and I'm I'm going to be, I'm going to get myself ready, you know? Um, and, you know, I have a, one of my closest friends is a filmmaker and she went through the same thing, documentary filmmaker. And I was, she was going, well, why should I do this? I go out and I work on this little film and I spend all the money I make on the film for the babysitter. It's like, it's not about that. It's about staying in the game. Yeah. Wow. And do you, do you find that a lot of artists kind of have a struggle to, or let me put it a different way. I've heard at least more than once from people, particularly in New York, that like you can't be a creative artist and a studio musician, mm-hmm. and like using studio musician in like the pejorative. <laughs> you you use you said you talked about it. I forget the words that you described, but it was more like you know, um, and but you seem to have a lack of pretense, which I find refreshing because you don't seem to have, have any problem with like I'm going to go do this studio gig and that's cool challenge, and also I've got my own thing and that's important to me too. It, right. Is there anything else? Or I mean, is that how you feel about it? Or do you have any other? Is that true? Think, do you find that attitude a lot or not? Oh, I definitely find that attitude. And, you know, back in the day of the really, really busy session work in New York, um, there people were always talking about that, about if you were going to break out of the session scene and you were going to do, you know, your own record where you're going to get signed and all this stuff. And the truth is that, um, I never felt really comfortable in mainstream music business anyway. So, um, and the, and the freelance work that I was often hired to do was very 
eclectic sort of eccentric sounds anyway. You know, it's like I'm the girl that was hired to sound like Ricky Lee Jones. So, you know, it's not going to be that far a, a, a walk over here to the kind of music that I loved anyway. But it is a challenge. You know, I, I, I do remember when we had a home studio and uh, a couple years had passed and we were going to try and do some new tracks and I got on the mic and we weren't getting the vocal. And, and my husband said, you know, there's something not quite happening. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I think I've been doing a few too many sessions, you know, in the past few months. So I've, I've lost a little something in the way I use my mouth that because, you know, they want me to straighten out. So you do have to be quite aware of when your your singer for hire, your your musician for hire um, head is starting to prevent you from, uh, I want to say just be yourself, but, you know, let go. That's that's what I'm looking for. Let go as an artist to, to discover. Um, and I will say that the session world slowed down and that's that was a good thing for making these, for creating these tracks. That was a good thing that I could move away from that. Now those sessions are much less. And the fact that I could um, just make the sounds that felt truly mine for most of the time was, was essential. Yeah. And how did you replace the session work with other, you know, gainful employment? I mean, what, you know, I guess teaching or what else? I mean, Well, Berkeley came along. I've been at Berkeley for about, for 14 years. And um, because I had been a smart girl with my jingle money, I had stashed away enough so that um, I can, between the, the teaching at Berkeley and a little bit of other teaching and a little bit of session work, you know, and, uh, you know, what we say, we, we say corporate jobs. Um, like weddings can, and parties yeah, in, in yeah, New York. Do they call those club dates in New York also? Yeah, they call them club dates in New York. Although I'm not really a club date singer. I have one. I have one. I have one uh, job with a, a, a band that was put together by my surgeon when I had an illness that I went through, and he recruited me for his band. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I do about eight of those shows a year. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, I think, yeah, you piece it together. You piece it together, and you um, – I, I was uh, – we, we played it kind of smart while, while I was making quite a bit more money. So now that I'm making much less money, I just – you know, everything is – kind of in its place working so that I can be, be an artist and a, and a, and a mentor to the youngsters and it works. Yeah, it works. Well, and it might seem kind of boring, uh, but I'm, I'm fascinated with, you know, how, how did you, or how do you, I guess it's different now because you, you've got a network from many years of being in New York, but how did you go about trying to get those gigs that paid the bills? Even if you don't feel like they're like the most, quote unquote, like sexy gigs or whatever, you know, or like the most creative gigs, like they paid the bills, they're valuable. And for a lot of people just to survive in New York is so hard. And I feel like yeah. a lot of young people or, and older people, they don't like, are you sort of, do you like go to work and say, okay, I'm going to go get some gigs or was it just like, well, I'm just going to show up and just say hi to people and hope that people call me or somewhere in between? Yeah, a combination. I mean, you really had to show, just like it is now, you had to show up at whatever, shows and gigs and call, call, call the music houses and socialize with people who um, were doing that kind of work. And um, kind of, it, it was kind of a, 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 a one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, you know, just this weird sort of exploration of how to network to find people um, but you but, were calling, but you were also proactively calling music yes, houses, proactively calling. What did you say when you yeah. called them? Well, you have a reel, you have a reel of your, and that's why when, when you hit New York, you say, I'll sing anything for free. Just let me take the tape afterwards, you know? And so you slowly build your, your reel and, um, you keep redoing your reel when you have a new, you know, a new spot or a new record that you sing on, you know, even some tiny little record, some, you know, band that I can't even remember now. Um, and then you call, I'd like to stop by and bring my reel, you know. But honestly, I got super lucky as well because um, I had a couple of friends who, start, who started working in those businesses as writers and producers. And they were like, we're going to bring you in. We know you can do the work. You're a nobody, but we're going to bring you in and give you a shot. And those early jobs did lead to people who didn't know me 
you know, bringing me in. And I think, you know, uh, other artists like uh, familiar with this artist, Mark Cohn, who had a big hit on his very first record, Walking in Memphis. Well, we sang jingles together. He sat me down like really soon after I hit New York and said, I'm going to give you a list. And I'm you tell them I told you to come, you know, people, you know, the people were very generous. Um, and so it does take that incredible tenacity as a freelancer, um, just like it does to get gigs as an artist. But I, I also really, really benefited from the kindness of my my compadres. Yeah. Who took a risk. You you would offer to people you would say, I'll sing. I'll record for you for free. Yep. Yep. It's like, okay, give me 35 bucks. <laughs> I'll take 35 bucks. Just give me the, give me the track afterwards, you know? Amazing. Yeah. And I had, there was about a year and a half of that. Yeah. While I was cleaning houses. And, and I want to, I want to follow up on that after we listen to some more music and ask about your, how you're pursuing your work as a art, as a, as a leader or your work as an artist as well. Is, is there another track we can listen to off you see this river? Yes. Now, do you want to go with the quasi-political track? <laughs> oh, whatever. Yeah. Anything okay. that you feel so, inspired to share. Totally. Yeah. So we could, we could listen to Buy That Thing. Um, this is a track. Uh, so there was something going around on Facebook, which occasionally is incredibly useful, right? Facebook. Um, it was a, a teenager and he had gone, he had gotten a, a camera pinned to, he probably had a sponsor to help him with this. He pinned a camera to his, his shirt. And first he went to a, um, uh, I think the first stop was a liquor store and he tried to buy some vodka and no, you know, I think he was 15. No, of course you can't buy any vodka. Uh, he probably had a fake ID, but they spotted him. Um, then he went to the Seven Eleven and he tried to buy a lotto ticket. No, can't buy the lotto ticket. And then he went to a second convenience store and tried to buy, I don't know what porn is in a convenience store these days, but there was something, you know. Uh, no, he couldn't buy that underage. And then he went to the, uh, the gun show. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was in my home state of Virginia, which is why I latched onto this story. Um, and he went to the gun show and he left with a gun. Wow. check out all of um, You See This River at Janie Barnett's website. And I'm looking it up right now. That's JanieBarnett.com. J-A-N-I-E Barnett with two T's. 
JanieBarnett.com is where you can go to purchase You See This River. Uh, and by, by the way, it is true that it's just clips on the on the um, on the website. So if you do want to hear full tracks, so you can really be sure, you can go to Spotify and listen to full tracks. But we're all hoping, all us artists out here, that that you listen and get get your uh, commitment to the to independent music, and then you go and purchase it. Absolutely. Well, this <laughs> this record. I mean, I think also because. There's this, it looks like there's a lot of beautiful artwork and there's some lyrics that I, I'm, I'm guessing that you have published on, maybe on the, um, the liners and that sort of thing. Yeah. Is that all true? the, all the lyrics that are, you know, I mean, I, I, I actually printed a real CD and, and printed all the lyrics, but, um, you can find all the lyrics on the website as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the artwork is my childhood friend, Cindy Kane, who's a painter on Martha's Vineyard. So I kept it in the family. Yeah, this is uh, the kind of physical product I would want to have, you know, because it just, it seems so beautiful. And just, I mean, for any, you know, a lot of my listeners, I'm always trying to find these, because there's a lot of artists um, that are, I, I, I see it as being one, all tied together as far as the struggle to survive in the business mm -hmm. of music and the struggle to, to get your creative works out there and and that's again why i feel like you're such a great role model and uh inspiration and uh and so i, I really want to encourage people to go to to your website so they can see how well you are presenting your work because i think that when when work is presented with such care and quality it it really speaks to the value of that work but obviously, you're part of the driving force behind promoting your career. And even though sometimes you're hiring other people to help you, it's clear to me that you're really involved because of the pains that you've taken in the copy. I mean, in the lyrics, and, and it's not just the lyrics to your songs, but it's like the quotes, the things you say about the music. It's the artwork on the website. It's the fact that you're creating all these other um, projects, like The Blue Room, which is a collaborative production uh, house, essentially. Is that right? Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about production, yeah. uh, well, the Blue Room? I mean, it's, a, it's an idea that's developing now, and um, my feeling, it, it, it came out of this idea that um, the musicians that were participating on this record were so, they're so gifted, and I have so much respect for them, and I've known most of them for many, many years, and they have spent so much time, I mean, I parceled out a little money, <laughs> but the, the, the money compared to the hours and hours that they committed to working on this, you know, really, I think of it as a, a really a collaborative piece of work, not, you know, and, uh, and that's why I didn't put my picture on the cover because it wasn't about just, you know, this artist and, you know, kind of, uh, telling everybody what to do. Although I had a vision um, it, the whole, this whole last few years of collaboration with, with other artists and with my community here in New York and in Brooklyn has been so profound in terms of how we've all affected each other and, and inspired each other. Um, and it's my hope going forward that that will also lend itself to other projects like music for film or, um, you know, collective, uh, performance space or, you know, there's a lot of people talking about that in Brooklyn in general, but, um, you know, that, that will, will branch out into other ways of, of working together. Yeah. That's great. And, and what is your plan with this project and what have you done so far, if you'd be willing to share it or what do you plan to do in order to try to, uh, get your, creative work out there or maybe whether that would be performing as a band leader or with your band or whether it would be getting your music uh i don't know licensed or streamed do you have any plans in terms of that yeah or? i mean the the shows are starting to we're st i'm starting to book some shows that will kind of finally represent be i'll be out there representing this record you know um um and i'm i've contacted you know, some good friends through the years, I'll be doing some uh, opening acts for them. People that, that, uh, either didn't have kids when I had kids or somehow they managed to 
you know, push through as artists and and keep their their work going. So I'm looking forward to that. One of the, the biggest things that I finally secured is um, we'll do we're doing a show here in New York at City Winery in December. Wow. Um, it was a show that I was offered as an artist, and I said I you know I'm thrilled to do this, but I'd like it to be not just my show, but I'd like to curate. Um, the show and bring in some other some other artists to participate in the show and the vision is again this idea of collaboration that um, that I can introduce people to other artists and um, of course I'm looking forward to doing my own songs with my with the musicians that I'm collaborating on but that it's it's a concept that can grow and that we can do it over time and we can do it at other venues and and bring you know this sort of urban Americana to um, other parts of the country and um, so that's the vision we're going to start and let's see how we do you know there's a project called the Transatlantic Sessions um, that Jerry Douglas from Union Station is um, sort of curates and all the wonderful Americana artists that are out there now have been participating and people from Ireland come over and, um, you know, everyone's on stage at the same time, kind of coming and going and intermingling. And I, I just love those kind of shows. My, some of my heroes, the Punch Brothers, they did it this summer too with other artists. And um, that's really my vision, the core of my vision for this, for this, for my music, that it be sort of help to um, bring other artists along as well. Um, but we try to say yes to whatever we can. I think that's the goal. That's the idea. I said no for a lot of years. Now I'm saying yes. And and do you surround yourself with the? T I mean, obviously you have some people that that you contract uh, out, or maybe you have agents on commission, or people that you hire for pr the a certain length mm -hmm. of the promotion. I mean, is there anything you would you would say about the process? I mean, what do you do for yourself, and what do you delegate, or are you willing to share any of that? Or? Right. That's an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, you want to be reaching out and getting the social media thing going and connecting. Like now I, um, from my, from my own page on Facebook now, I choose a song a night and I talk about this, not my own songs, just songs I love out there. And I've been, I've been posting a song a night and I've been doing it ever since pretty close to when my record came out. And it's kind of fascinating, the dialogue that's been going on. You know, this isn't, you know, this is, something that sort of helped me to generate activity in my own mind about, you know, how I, a voice I want to have in the creative community. Um, you just, you mean you just post a link to the song and you don't, it's not like a Facebook live video or anything like that. No, no, no. I find, I find the track. Like the, I think the first one I posted was a Punch Brothers song. Um, and I, you know, usually talk about it a little and I post the lyrics, some of the lyrics that I think are special, you know, um, sometimes admittedly I'm posting it for one person who I want to send a message to, but usually it's about the music, you know, um, I think there are, you know, back to the real question, there are things that an artist can do for themselves, connecting with other people in the business that, you know, in terms of outreach and fans, of course, and really connecting with your fans and spending that time after shows the extra hour to talk to people um, about their lives and your lives. It's what people in the country music business, you know, world have been doing forever. And the rest of us should have always been doing it. Um, and then there are some things that, you know, someone else needs to do for you to get it right. You know, reaching out and people who have, that's their, that's their thing. That's their work. There's expertise to pick up that phone and call that promoter. It's way it's much better if it comes from someone else, as long as that someone else really understands who you are as an artist. You know, I think that's essential. Mm, interesting. Well, in your case, it, it certainly worked. But I but I'll but I'll say I, I couldn't find the seam between the promoter and you because and maybe that's because. Well, I, I don't know if it's because you are so have because you're such a eloquent writer. And you're such a master of the word, or if it's that your promoter just did such a great job of, of, of disguising <laughs> and, and placing, you know, be, and, and I mean, uh, and, I, and I would say that, uh, like, for example, if it was you that was contributing all those quotes, I think there's a lot of people out there that, that can't write as eloquently as you do. And that's a really specific <laughs> skill that you have, but, and you're also a lyricist. And so I guess like a poet and a communicator or whatever, you know, um, but I think I think for for a lot of musicians, um, there might be some skills that they, maybe some musicians are more organized 
and they are good at mm-hmm. doing outreach because they're good with spreadsheets and but other ones are better with writing the words and and you know making exactly. a great presentation like myself i couldn't coordinate like good cover art you know i would have to delegate that whereas i could imagine and i'm just totally imagining that you might have been like really sitting down and looking through the pictures with your friend kate and you know oh oh yeah i mean <laughs> so i guess some of it's I, just personal right Right. And, you know, we each, each of us, you know, not just in the arts, but in everything, you have to recognize what your what your passions are and what your strengths are and what you have to delegate. It's in family life. It's in business. It's in everything. You know, you just want to sort of know yourself, you know, to, to as, as fully as you can, you know, uh, so you know what you care about, what you can handle. I mean, look at what Ani DeFranco did. She just built this empire with her own label that no one could have seen the DIY world was happening for musicians, but no one had done what she did, you know, and I could never do what she did. You know, she just had, it wasn't that just that she was, uh, that she was determined. It was like, she was good at that and she had a passion for it as well, you know, and she got to a certain point she could start to delegate, but you know, you gotta, you gotta know, you know, what your, what your, what your, um, what your strengths are. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, I wonder if there's anything else that you'd like to share today before we wrap up and maybe we can, maybe we can go out on a, on another track. I'm sure people would love to know where else they could find you on Facebook. Is it Janie Barnett on Facebook? So I, of course, like everyone in the universe these days, I am on Facebook as Janie Barnett, but also Janie Barnett and Blue Room has its own page where I post all the you know, the shows that we've started to have and, and, and some freelance shows that I'm doing too, that I care about. Um, and my little nightly music posts, which I would love people to interact with. It's really fun if people respond. So you have to actually go to that page and like the page, you know, follow the page or whatever it is. And then, you know, the, the shared music starts to happen. Um, and I'm trying to, keep the website updated. So when there are shows in people's areas, they're going to see, they're, they're going to see the listings. I mean, it's just now starting to really happen. So I'm going to start being a little more diligent. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing that I've been really amazed about, which is the one thing that I, I, I haven't had a chance to say is just that this, the, the independent, um, music lovers, and the DJs and people like you who are musicians, but are also trying to promote other ideas about creativity is just incredible to me how much is out there that is really, um, people really committed to getting it right. You know, all the DJs that played this, have played this record over the summer that had never heard of me. And, uh, just, I mean, sure. a, A quote from, you know, Paula Cole or Cliff Eberhardt really helped, but, you know, they took the time to really listen to somebody they had never heard of. And that is, to me is in this day and age with where there's so much music out there. It's really it's incredible to me. You know, I think those are real. Those people are real heroes as far as advocating for the independent artist. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think it's really great that there are podcasts and more independent channels um, where people can eas- more easily produce, you know, whatever they want and talk about whatever they want. Again, I would, I would have to say that, um, cause when I first got your, the note from Maddie at, uh, two chefs will pass, uh, you're, uh, one of the people that helps you get the word out. I assume mostly reaching out to podcasters and bloggers and even small ones like me, cause I'm not a big deal. My brother Lewis, he has the school of greatness, which is one of the top podcasts, but, uh, but my podcast is, is pretty niche, you know? So I was, but at first I thought I was like, well, this, you know, this is a singer. I don't even know, you know, but then I read the email and I was so impressed with it that I came back to it a day later. I was like, wait a second. Cause I actually shared the email. Well, I don't know if, if you, if you know this or not, but I, I do music business consulting. So I have a group called music biz mastermind and I have musicians who are clients of mine and we have a secret Facebook group where I inspire them and, you know, kind of help them build their businesses. And so I actually shared aspects of this pitch letter to them to say like, look, this is how you do it. If you, Oh my God. If you're going to, wow. because you get so many like crappy, you know, you get so many people like, Hey, put me on or Hey, like check out my music. And like, without any consideration, you know what I mean? I'm sure you get it all the time as a professor and as a veteran of the music scene, where just maybe a younger or less inexperienced person will just come up and just like, 
Maybe they don't realize, but it's sort of, it's sort of disrespectful. You're like, I don't have time. You're a stranger. Why are you asking me for something? You know, <laughs> in like completely like inappropriate way. Like there's a there's a there's the right way to ask, and then there's like the wrong way to ask. So right, right. the way that your promoter reached out to me, it was like really appropriate because it referenced our mutual friend Mark Simos. Yeah. And in fact, they put Mark's uh, name in the subject. You know, per Mark Simos, and and for everybody uh, listening here, you can go and and listen for. Uh, two episodes. It was a two-parter that I did with Mark Simos on the Creative Strings podcast. I can't remember. It was around episode 15 or 18. <laughs> uh, I should be able to pull the number out. But um, but uh, but she referenced that, which made this kind of relevant connection. I was like, wait, it's about Mark. And, and then really referenced, you know, spoke to me directly and showed like a certain degree of respect. And then, as I said, there was all this care taken to speak about your work and to show the obvious, like the seriousness that's been put into your work that makes it a lot harder to disregard or mm. like not. And so I circled, literally circled back around to it like two days later. I was like, wait a second. After sharing it with my music, I was like, maybe there's a reason to put this person. I was like, I like this person's work. Like, this is amazing. Wait, she plays guitar. She's on. We got to do this. You know? <laughs> But uh, sorry, that was a long way. It's really interesting to me because, you know, when you when you're going to spend some money and hire someone, you know, sometimes people just they just start throwing money around. And, you know, you do have to just like with your own work, you do have to think it's like any relationship. you got to be thoughtful about it. Like, does this person get me? Can I could I sit with them for an hour and not be like uncomfortable? You know, can we can we be in each other's pockets for a few months and really, you know, be be some kind of family and at, you know, like-minded, it's, it's a, it's a very important choice. So I'm, I'm so delighted to hear what you're saying about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's, yeah, I'm sure you're, you, you know, it, it, it's, it's always painful when we have to make those investments, but, but, uh, but hopefully it makes it a little less painful to know that it's, you know, paying off. Well, um, let's, let's, uh, let's leave our listeners with, uh, one more song from you see this river by Janie Barnett, and uh, and maybe you could. Before you do, I just want to thank you so much for spending your time and um, and just tell you that I'm just super impressed and really inspired by by you and your work. Thank you so much. I mean, it's it's so gratifying to have a real conversation about you know all of these processes and you know knowing that you know you've done it all as well. A, a deep musician. And, uh, you know, part of the community and the teaching community as well. So it's really wonderful. So give us one more that we can listen to. I think we'll go with um, Wrap Me Up, which is um, a song I started in Italy. I went with uh, on a retreat with one of my songwriting heroes, Gretchen Peters, um, who everyone should check out. She's a deep artist, has had a lot of cuts with other artists, but she's also a deep artist herself, beautiful records that she makes on her own. And, uh, so this is a song that I, I wrote while I was there. And, um, it also features her husband, Barry Walsh on piano. Thank you so much, Janie Barnett. Everybody make sure to go to Janie Barnett. That's two T's Janie with a J A N I E Janie Barnett.com and find her on Facebook at Janie Barnett and Blue Room and um, show your love to this great role model and creative artist and survivor. And she, uh, she continues to uh, survive and float another day. No doubt about that. Um, we're going to go out on this track from a beautiful album, You See This River. Thanks again, Janie. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Janie Barnett. Make sure to check out her website. That's Janie Barnett with two T's dot com. And uh, you can or you can Google search Janie Barnett and Blue Room songs. Uh, please leave a comment share this episode, share the entire podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Um, we'll have it up at christianhouse.com with a bunch of notes. Um, I want to thank our sponsors again, electric violin shop. Make sure to call them. If you have any kinds of questions, anytime about, um, electric strings and also our sponsor Yamaha. 
check out not only their electric line of bowed string instruments but also their acoustic line which are getting more and more um, reviews piling up people starting to really take notice of Yamaha's acoustic line of bowed string instruments and again I do just want to stress that summer is coming it's time to plan for summer now and I want you to come to the creative strings workshop first week of July uh, I'd love to meet you in person and love to play music together and connect with a wonderful worldwide community of creative string players thank you so much for uh, listening to this and other episodes and uh, spreading the word and we'll see you next time